Ginny, what do you say we talk about thrones? <laughs> Jenny. Jenny. Okay. Jenny here. Um, apparently, Jenny doesn't have much to say this episode. So, Richard, we are here today to talk about thrones. <laughs> And we are going to break down a little bit of episode 201 and 202. Sir Richard over there is going to take things as the newbie, the one that hasn't seen it, hasn't been spoiled, hasn't, uh, hasn't, hasn't had any extra podcast experience with the show. I'm Anthony, and I'm going to kind of look at the production of it. Although these episodes, there's man, I wish there was more to say about these episodes production-wise. And then Jenny is going to be taking a look at how they match up with the books. And awesome. we are we are reaching the point now where diversion begins to become a thing. And I'm sure Jenny will have plenty to say about that as we go along. Episode 201 and 202, Richard, your thoughts overall on... Uh, on uh, I mean, to me, these are kind of like mo- story movers. We're, we're, nothing major is happening, but some very key elements of the story are being pushed along. Yeah, that's kind of... I don't know, like diametrically opposed concepts there. But yeah, I mean, we have, I think, a second season that starts out with some pretty significant moments, right? Like, we start, literally the first scene is some guys fighting each other in armor for the amusement of King Asshole Joffrey. <laughs> Is that, right? Is that an official title? I think that's the official yeah, title. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. Totally his title. And then we see very quickly that, you know, Sansa's just kind of fit into this role that she's been forced into to be by his side, mm-hmm. but she's hating life. Meanwhile, Tyrion's back in town, and oh, thank God, because he's such a delight. Like, every scene (laughs) that he's in, I enjoy, and I love the repertoire, and his just acerbic tongue manages to cut anything in its way. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we discuss these two episodes. But then, like, we get to a really dark place very quickly, and... In this episode, we see a couple things. We see this, like, in 201, this crazy scenario where, uh, surprise, people live beyond the wall. Somehow, I didn't know that. And they're really crazy because, you know, this old dude marries all his daughters and makes daughters with them and then marries them and then makes daughters with... It's just too too disgusting to even really think about too deeply. And then we have this awesome scenario where Littlefinger and Cersei try to kind of outdo each other, but, um, well, someone clearly wins that battle. And the scene, or the episode, 201, ends with this horrific, horrific visualization of an army of guards going out and basically killing all of Robert's bastards, no matter how old they are. Just just the chance of it being a bastard. They were were like all available possibilities were being extinguished. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because I talk about not wanting spoilers on this, but this is one of those areas. This is one of those scenes where as soon as I saw it, I suddenly understood the chatter that I was 
noticing on Twitter mm. where people were saying, baby's getting killed, I'm out. Mm. That, that's actually a really good recap of, of the episode. I would like to touch on a few things in particular, though, things that I noticed. Yep. yep. Um, the First of all, the opening sequence has changed. And there are several different changes. One, it doesn't start as appearing at the stag. It actually starts as, you know, the first thing you see when, this, when it comes up is the dragons. Uh, <laughs> it moves on from there, and it, it starts showing Dragonstone, the island that uh, Stannis is at. It shows that, I think, for the first time it shows Dragonstone. Um, and then it moves on, and it starts showing more of Essos, where Danny is, like, stuck in this, the middle of this massive desert. And one thing that I noticed on that particularly is in the books, it really spends a lot of time on her wandering through the desert. There are chapters upon chapters of her and what remains of her Kalisar wandering through the desert. And in this episode, in, in, in episode 202, it barely touches on there. There's only a few scenes, but the scenes are completely dramatic, though. There's there's reasons to have those scenes in there. And this is one of those times where they took they kind of right. cut stuff out of the book, and I think they did a very wise choice by doing that because she she eventually runs across a few dead cities and stuff like that before it really gets to any kind of action, and it was nice for them to trim that out, but that was pretty important. When you see Sansa being subjugated by Joffrey, she's a total, you know, she just yes, whatever, whatever you say, whatever's going on, I'm playing along. She's. You can see in her right. in her facial expressions and in the way she, uh, the way uh, Sophie Turner plays the character that Sansa is no longer in love with Joffrey. No longer has the idea. She's there, literally just playing the game and observing and watching others play the game. And then when she talks back to Joffrey, the Hound jumps in, and this is the first time that. The hound. Well, I guess it's, it's not the first time because you saw it earlier. But the the hound jumps in at just a key moment, not to step in front of Joffrey and, and stop him from being the cruel bastard that he is, but just to give Sansa the the, the speckle of keep your place, child. And I'm I'm a I'm throw a little little marshmallow in there to cushion it a little bit, but I can't protect you all the way. And it's interesting to see that dynamic going between those two. It is, but at the same time, that kind of enables her. And for just a moment, she manages to kind of like mm-hmm. hold her own footing and defend the kind of knee-jerk reaction that she had when she saw Joffrey being unfair to someone and immediately turned that around and suggested, no, 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 no you don't want this to, you know, to mar your day. This is going to look badly on you. And again, the hound kind of backs her up on that. And so while she's resigned, you know, in, in the notes that I took while I was watching this, I, I wrote down that she's reluctantly resigned to be at his side while she's resigned. I think also that she is, she still has a little bit of a spark in her. If anyone can catalyze that, that she's willing to try to manipulate her way to manage mm-hmm. this as best she can. Yeah. This is really the, the, the beginning of the development of Sansa as she stands later, you know, as, as she begins to grow and her character isn't just this, the, 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 the queen wannabe. She's actually becoming a, a real character. 
And a lot of people uh, from, you know, when I was watching it originally, a lot of people really got out of stance and she was like, um, blow her off. Don't care about her. Don't care about her. She's just a puppet. And this is where you start developing Sansa that will be. And it's, it's, it's interesting to watch that. Now, there are a couple things here because Littlefinger has a power play against Cersei. They, they, they encounter each other and Littlefinger <laughs> tries to power play against Cersei. And basically the gold cloaks, the city watch, grab him, you know, and she's, she basically plays along like she, she, they're going to kill him. And at the last second, she backs it off. And it's kind of her, you know, showing no Littlefinger. I'm the one here. And she has a quote in there that says power is power. Cause he had said knowledge is power. And, and her quote coming back to it was no right. power is power. power. And I thought that was, power. that was a great, you know, little moment they had there. And then immediately following that Cersei tries a power play against Joffrey and Joffrey spins it right back on her and lets her know that, no, I'm the King and you'll take your place. Well, I think that there were two things going on there. I think one is that she does know better than him, than Joffrey, mm-hmm. from her experience. And we'll see more of that as episodes play out, even just looking into the next episode where we get a little bit of insight into what's kind of driving her. But also, she's his mother. And... She's used to treating him in a certain way. And when he acts out, then he gets punished. So she instinctively punishes him for his, frankly, Mm -hmm. stupidity without recognizing in the moment that, holy shit, I just basically abused the king. And he comes back very quickly and said, that was punishable by death. You won't do that again. Um, It it was almost like him standing up for himself in his position and throwing a tantrum at the same time. (laughs) Oh, it was totally that. Yeah. No, no, no. Absolutely. It was was totally that. Weird double play on that one. But either way, he, he, he... yeah, he, he, he's starting to establish himself that he believes he's above his mother. And that's a relationship that's going to continue along yep. that strain for, for at least a little while. So Now, while we're talking about everybody being above everybody else, I want to bring Tyrion uh, back into the story, right? Like, he comes into town, and first of all, they're not expecting to see him. So he's just kind of showing up at this event where Joffrey's enjoying seeing people kill each other for his amusement. And Tyrion's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. This must be delightful for you. I'm so happy for you. But, -hmm. you know, there's work to be done. And all of a sudden, Joffrey's like, what? What? What are you talking about? I'm the king. What do you mean there's work to be done? Well, nobody really knows until... He explains what's going on later that he is now. Yeah. And, and, that, and that brings out a, a lovely conversation between him and Cersei about their positions and, and who's in charge of what and everything else. And, and kind of, you know, touches on why Cersei hates him so much. Uh, the fact that, you know, she, he killed their mother 
on his way out, as far as she believes anyway. And she holds that against him directly, regardless of him being deformed in, in, you know, the impish shape that he's in or whatever else. She holds that very fact that, you know, her mother died giving birth to him. That's really what it is that, that she hates him for. Yeah, that's actually in the second of these two episodes that we're talking about, right? In the first episode, it's more of a power play. In, the, in 201, it's more of an episode where they're kind of trying to feel each other out and see what power each of them has. And what Tyrion says, I, I actually wrote this down. I wrote a couple quotes down, all from Tyrion, <laughs> because I think his lines are just amazing. And and the the one that really caught me in 201 is where Cersei is defending Joffrey, mm. who, who she is continuing to defend is the person who belongs on the throne, despite the fact that Tyrion has clearly made it uh, obvious that he knows that... Joffrey's mm-hmm. not the rightful heir, right? And Tyrion says to her, uh, you love your children. It's one of your redeeming, it's your right. one redeeming quality. Well, that <laughs> and your cheekbones. <laughs> it's yeah. just delightful. I love, I love the one-liners that he has. And the insight that he shows compared to the ignorance and the self-absorbed nature of everybody else that he's in scenes with. Yeah, the way that he's written and the way that P- Peter Dinklage um, establishes and reads the character and displays these lines that are written for him, he delivers every single time. And it's always in this nonchalance. It, there's never... a a moment of hurry or uh, over emotion or embellishment. It's always just, well, here's the facts. This is, this is, it's almost like Tyrion is the narrator of the story, you know, through his character. He's just saying, this is what it is. It's not exuberant or anything else. It's just your one redeeming quality is the love you have for your children. Oh, and your cheekbones. No, I didn't watch this you know, when it was on the air and it's something that I was interested in, but I never got to. And like I said, I did hear some of the rumblings on social and just in general pop culture. Right. And obviously we had him being nominated and I believe he's won a couple of times now for best actor or best supporting actor in this role. And I often wondered, I'm like, really? Like, he's, you know, I've seen him in lots of stuff, and he's good, but he's really stealing the show here? Yes, yes. He's absolutely stealing the show here. And part of it is him, and part of it, I think, is the brilliant writing of his character. Between the writing of his character and the character itself is is amazing. When you're reading the books, as I'm sure Jenny can can attest to, or not, or or not, um, Jenny, we uh, if you're reading the books, the the character that he's playing Tyrion is is exceptionally well written in all of his scenes. It's all there, there's a certain a certain personality to those chapters. And the way that they they play out, and that is really 
transferred to to the screen very very well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, now there's this one scene that totally lost me. I had no idea what was going on. We saw all this stuff. I understood the thing with the, like, you know, walking through the desert and trying to figure out where there was life and which direction to go and how do you feed the dragons. I got that. That was kind of cool. But what really frustrated me was all of a sudden we're on this, I don't know, West California, West Coast, California beach with cliffs. And there's all these statues burning and people that I don't remember ever seeing before just doing all this weird (laughs) shit. What the hell was that all about? So this, this was a, a, a rushed introduction to, um, to the onion night and to Stannis Baratheon, which was Robert's older brother, because you had, you had Stannis and Renly. And I, I don't know if you'd seen if, if Stannis had been on the show prior or not. I think he had, but not as a major character. Renly obviously had. So this is your introduction to Stan, Stannis Baratheon. It's your introduction to the Red Woman. Um, and it's Melisandre. And it's an introduction to the, un, the Onion Knight, which I think his name is Thanos. Ah, it's hard to remember. You get a new location. You get this this red woman saying that her god is the only god, and they're burning the wooden statues of the old gods, of the seven gods, rather, which are kind of the new gods, but whatever. So now now you have three tiers of gods. You got the old gods, the new gods, and the one god. And it's Stannis' approach to how he's going to take the throne that his brother would have rightfully left him had he known properly about the children that he had not born. Okay, so let's assume I don't know anything about these people, which is um, pretty much in line with everybody mm-hmm. watching this for the first time. If Stannis is the older brother, why did Robert get the Robert throne? is the victor. Robert won the throne in the war. Oh, <laughs> because it's Game of Thrones. You don't just earn, you don't just get it through inheritance. If if my younger brother won a war, he wouldn't then just give me the throne. He would sit on the throne himself. However, if he didn't have any children, rightful heirs, as is the case here, then it would ascend to his oldest brother and continue down the line from there. I don't know. I think you and I have different exposures to how monarchies work, <laughs> but whatever. So here we have this new group of people that we haven't previously seen, except perhaps occasionally and as like mm-hmm. side characters presumably not necessarily controlled by but to some extent driven by this crazy <laughs> redhead who right who has who who has who's like doing these ritualistic burnings mm-hmm. on the beach and I'm like, I'm seriously like, what the fuck? Like, what is going on here? I was yeah. lost. And this is where we get to this thing where episodes are paired, right? Like, if you watch two episodes together, you're more likely to understand what yeah. the hell is going on. But still, 
very confusing. Like, I was just like, okay, I understand this is intentional. We don't know who these people are. They're throwing this in front of us to mess things up, but it. Yeah, and, and the, the, the kicker is <laughs> really at the end of this season, only three of the people in that entire scene matter. So there's a lot of names thrown out there. There's the, there's the, there's a Davos, the Onion Knight. Um, there is, well, I guess four. Um, but there's Davos. There's the, uh, what was the, uh, Salador Sand, the, the, the smuggler that had like 50, 20 ships or 50 ships or whatever. You got Stannis being properly introduced. So, you know, okay, he's the rightful heir to the throne from Robert. Got it. You got the Red Woman, uh, Melisandre, and you essentially don't know what place they're all going to have, but this can be very important as the story moves along. It was kind of just a rushed introduction to him, though. Well, and given how many different characters are introduced and frankly lost mm-hmm. along the way in this show in general, and I mean, shit, we're 11 episodes in at this point, you have to wonder who's important right. and who's not, right? And, right? and one of the... One of the points of genius on the show is that you don't necessarily know who's important until they show their importance. But it's also one of the most confusing things about reading the stories and watching the the, the show. <laughs> um, to the point that at the end of each book, there's like a there's an index of people, so that you can refer to it as you're reading the book. That's how many names are and how many people are in these books. It's like a James <laughs> Michener novel to those of us who are old enough to know what that is. So I want to add, I want to get to one more thing. And um, I I think that's the last thing that we probably need to specifically discuss in this episode. You alluded to this, but there's this scene where Daenerys and what remains of those who are following her and Mm -hmm. supporting her are trudging through a great expanse and they are clearly starving. They're filthy. They're exhausted. We see, and anytime, anytime that there's an animal in pain or in any sort of suffering, it obviously gets to me. It's obviously designed to get to the audience. We see the horse that was given to her, when she initially joined up with this family group land that, that this horse can't go on anymore. It's starving. It's going to die. And, and I'm actually surprised that we didn't see that. We didn't have a scene where they put the horse out of its misery because that's just so this show, (laughs) but (laughs) <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, it totally is. Uh, but but they're in a horrible place. And she has these dragons, and everybody acknowledges that they're dragons, but nobody really knows how to care for them. She doesn't know how to feed them. They're obviously starving, too, but she's depending on them. So she sends her folks off in three different directions— Yes, on their last three remaining horses. To go see what's out there, see if there's any life, any mm-hmm. villages, anyone, any hope for them in the forward 
the left and the right directions, was, whatever those might be. North, everything east, west, but northwest. Whatever. So it was like northeast, southeast, and southwest. Or the three, I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. Left, right, um, and up. <laughs> this is one of the points where I think they missed. In the books, it, they build into how she's trudging across this vast expanse called the Red Wastes. There's nothing there. There's some skeletal towns and things like that, like I said before. Um, but her Kalasar, what remains of her Kalasar, which is like a, off the top of my head, like 20 women and 10 men or something like that. It's really a, a, a minor amount compared to the huge Kalasar that Khal Drogo had. They're falling out. They're dying. They're they're dropping like flies. And finally, her horse dies. And that's kind of like the last, right. you know, that that's the last thing that she had of Drogo. So she sends out right. the writers and in hopes of finding anything, what they don't tell you is just how large this expanse is. It's hundreds of miles of nothing. And I kind of got that. I mean, I, I assumed that it was massive, that it was Sahara massive. Right. Well, this is, this is one of those times where the storylines don't, because the storyline back on uh, Westeros is kind of just flowing. Like, okay, a day or two has passed. All right, a couple of weeks have passed or whatever. Meanwhile, months have passed in, in Essos with her going yeah. through and them starving and not finding any, any water, any sustenance or anything else. Um, and this is kind of like her last plea for hope. And it doesn't end well to start with. No, it doesn't. So you two have already read the story and you, you know, you're comparing it to your expectation based on the novel. I guess from my perspective, only mm -hmm. having seen it on screen, I think they portrayed that well. I mean, I got that desperation. I got that feeling of how like they were on their last legs and they, there was no hope in sight. So they were making a last desperate attempt, even though it was likely right. to fail. Uh, you you got to figure she's got three warriors on horses um, and she sends all three of them away knowing, I mean, she has to know that at least one of them will not return. And so let's, let's, you know, diving into that next episode, right? Then we Returns. see one of them. <laughs> well, we see part of right. one of them return. We see the horse for, and, and I forget the, the name of, um, it, it, his position for, to her, but basically her guy, you know, and he was, he was the person that when she was talking to, to her people, he was the person that right. she communicated with. Like he was the representative that he, she spoke with and interacted with. And, he was the person who was always with her, kind of protecting her and right. and supporting her. And he comes back. Well, well, at least his head and his very clearly severed lock that I'd never noticed before the moment that he went away. <laughs> <laughs> Conveniently, never noticed that he had that lock of hair tied together in a ponytail right. or whatever you would call that. But you see that and the top of his head in a sack 
on his horse. No, one of the things that I noticed about this is that the the sack that his head is in is still bleeding. There's still blood like dripping away, which tells me that they're not very far. Yep. That's you know, yeah. That, that's a really that, good that point, Brody. Oh, uh, so they're hmm. And now they know where we are. If they choose to follow the horse that they just sent away, that returned back home. So, and I don't know if that was, if, if that if you caught that or not, but I caught that on the second time. I didn't really see it the first time I watched it, but the second time I watched it, you know, I caught it and I was like, oh, that really kind of explains just how not out of the woods they are. It's funny you say that because I totally noticed the blood dripping, but it didn't, it didn't register that that meant that he hadn't, that head hadn't been in that right. bag for all that long. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's, that's how, that's, that's the state we leave Danny at the end of the second episode is just destitute and down at least one warrior with still no additional sign of hope. But we have lots of other stuff going on in episode 202, right? Like more fun with Tyrion. Tyrion is now playing his role in the council and creating all kinds of havoc. We go back and forth to the folks beyond the wall and and we see uh, Samwell trying to do good and perhaps getting a little bit too close to one of the, I don't know what to call them, daughter wives. I've forgotten how awkward Gilly's introduction to the story was. Because Gilly, uh, she's, she's around at least long enough for me to remember the, the character name, right? So I've forgotten, because, well, when Sam was introduced... His introduction to the story was rather awkward. You know, this big fat dude that can't fight and doesn't want to fight and won't won't hurt anybody. And and then John kind of swoops in and and, re, and saves him. But then Jilly comes in or Gilly comes in and she's awkward and she's in desperation. And John says, "No, we are not helping. We're not assisting. We are doing nothing in any way to bring favor to her or bring attention to ourselves." And as you see the story go, that difference in introduction of those two characters is very interesting to see again. Yeah, I thought that was a, a telling scene. I enjoyed that a lot, actually. And what I think was particularly interesting there was where you basically end up with a situation where Samwell is trying mm-hmm. to help, but he ultimately ends up kind of <laughs> freaking her out. And, right. and scaring her away. <laughs> um, and while we're talking north of the wall, uh, John wakes to the sound or, or notices the sound of a baby crying and follows Craster, who's who's had all these wives and everything else, and they don't know what happens to the sons. And Gilly had said, well, if it's a boy, he'll take it. And then later that night, presumably that night, John follows Craster as he's carrying this baby into the woods and sees a blue-eyed something take the baby and then is summarily knocked cold by Craster, who had doubled back and and caught him watching what was going on. So a couple things there. And by the way, we just skipped to the end of episode (laughs) 202. But that scene, while I suspected what was going on, you said a blue-eyed creature. I don't think we actually saw glowing blue eyes. 
in the creature that was taking the baby. I think we just saw shadows of a creature mm. taking no, the I, baby. I took very special notice that, that the blue eyes shone. All right, I might have to watch that again because I did not notice that, and I'm surprised by that. But uh, it's been a day, so it's it's possible that yeah, I might um, have missed that. And, and that and that was that was kind of like you find this information, <laughs> you find the story that's going on, and what's happening to the boys, and then it you still don't know, but now you know, you know. And and it makes you wonder, like, do they have to sacrifice the boys or? Does he not want the boys because, you know, he can't make them wives? I mean, there's so much weirdness yeah. going on here. The dude marries his daughters. I mean, how <laughs> fucked up is that? Seriously. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it de- definitely is strange. And it also shows to John's character, I think, that even though he's been told repeatedly and forcefully not to get into Craster's affairs, he still gets into Craster's affairs. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, in all fairness, he was warned, don't touch them, don't look at them, don't get involved with them, meaning his daughters slash wives, but he's doing what he does, right? He's judging, he is trying to be kind of like the, uh, you know, I don't even know how to say this without seeming like Ned Stark condescending, but he he is trying to right. be the force of good. And, uh, it, you know, it, 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 we'll see how that plays out. All right, couple things here. Littlefinger. We find out Littlefinger likes to watch. Previously, he seemed to ignore the fact that folks were fucking in front of him. Now, it seems like he likes to watch, and that's kind of weird. And then, after that whole scene he has this bizarre discussion where he comforts one of his whores who is really just completely torn up over this thing that we saw at the end of the last episode where they came in and killed the baby this was an interesting scene in that so i didn't i didn't take it that littlefinger likes to watch i took it that he's constantly evaluating his his services that are being dispensed. Um, but. Oh, that was a performance evaluation. Okay. I understand. All right. I get it. The, the conversation may be recorded for customer service <laughs> right. um, purposes. He is, it is set up to where one couple is, is having sex in one room while being viewed upon by another gentleman while he is being serviced himself. And, after and zooming back from that, then Littlefinger is actually watching him. Littlefinger's watching he's him. not being serviced at the time, <laughs> um, and that's when uh, that, that's when the, right. the little issue with Roz comes along. And it's funny knowing knowing Littlefinger as well as 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 I do after you know being going through the rest of the you know the the series and stuff. The way that he approaches Roz about the this baby thing, it sounds so tender and it sounds like he's he's going to help and he's gonna bring about the story, but the story takes a very dark turn where he basically auctions off this previous worker that was you know, w- that wouldn't stop crying about an issue 
to a gentleman to have his demonic ways with her. And it, it, it's really comforting, really comforting. And you're like, oh, you, oh, you, you, you just use grandpa's soothing voice to get me hook, line, and sinker into this story that you just turned right back around on me. Um, and I, I thought that was very well played. And it's, one of those, it's another one of those points where the dialogue really speaks more than just the words being said. And it was a control move. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a clear control move, right? Like, you know, he's coming in. It strikes me as your typical abuser type of conversation where he's coming in, he's comforting, she's all upset, and he's using this comforting tone and these comforting words. And then suddenly the discussion in the comforting tone turns into this horrific scenario where it's clear that this is not necessarily a threat, but a right. control mechanism and, and a, and a reminder that no, 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 you're, you're under me. Right. Yeah. It's really, really creepy. All right. Let's, Switch to something much more fun. Tyrion again. <laughs> All right. So Tyrion is aware of this crazy bastard killing that has gone on. We don't know how he found out about this, but he's a smart mm-hmm. guy and he did. And so he's confronting the guy who led this effort. I think the previous commander who led this effort. And at this point, we think we're led to believe that it was probably the Queen Regent who initiated this, but we don't know. And so Tyrion's playing his card. And I love, I love this conversation that he has with the commander where the commander is like, I'm not going to have you question my honor. And Tyrion says, Right. I'm not questioning your honor. I'm denying its existence. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh Jano Slint, the uh the 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 commander of the city watch, uh he he questions him and asks him what happened and kind of how it went down and then dismisses him and says, you know, just get out of here and has the city the city watch, the gold cloaks take him away. And and puts Bronn in his position. Yes. And this is the the relationship between Tyrion and Bronn continues to evolve to this this semi trust state where Tyrion then asks him if I if I asked you to kill a baby no you know uh, for, straight off the mother's breast would you do it without question he said no without question I'd want to know how much like like Bronn is <laughs> Bronn cares only about the pennies you know he only cares about the bottom line. Um, oh, and, and that's that's yeah. that's both endearing yeah. and a sinister part of Braun. Like you, you can never quite trust him because it's he's always going to go to whoever pays him the best. You know, wherever the money is, that's where he's going to go. And right now yep. it's Tyrion, so he's following Tyrion along. Absolutely, it was awesome. All right, cut to Arya. Oh, Arya and Gendry. They they both hide from the go, go from uh, the the the. the the Queen's men, the King's men, I guess, uh, that come looking for him, only to find out that Gendry's the one that they're looking for. And 
again, because the king has decided that all possible heirs shall be, shall be killed. Um, and this is where, this was an interesting, an interesting scene where, uh, Yorin, Yorin basically fends them off by threatening to sever the femoral artery. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> says, yeah, here, here, let me position this knife just right between your yeah. artery and your balls <laughs> and let's see how you respond. Um, and gets them thrown off. But then at the same time, it, it gives this moment between Arya and Gendry to say, okay, well, you thought they were looking for you. You thought they were looking for you. What's going on? And Gendry also reveals that he knows Arya. He knows Ari or Ari is not a boy. It's Arya, the girl. And then she slips up and tells him that right. she's a Stark after he says that both the, uh, Lord Aaron and Lord Stark as hands of the king had questioned about his, his heritage, um, about his parentage. And she slips up that she's Arya Stark of Winterfell. And he starts making, poking fun at her, not denying it, not questioning that she's, you know, a lady, you know, a lordly lady or whatever, but instead, Oh, well, like all that shit about penises, uh, you know, forget I said that and this, and that, <laughs> and it, it, it kind of cements them because they've always been the, the two awkward ones of the group anyway. It was a great scene. And I don't, you know, it's funny you say that she slips up. I'm not convinced from the way that was played that it was intended to read as if she slipped up. I think she was confiding, right. actually. At least that's the way I interpreted it. And then he, yes, partially kidding, but also recognizing that, oh my, then I need to be kind of reverent to you. And she's like, <laughs> fuck you, Will. <laughs> yeah, that's not how That'll works. blow my cover. Um, and their relationship continues to grow. And it's, and it's, it's fun to watch Arya have any kind of relationship with anyone that she can confide in and has some sort of trust in at this point. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed that scene. I, I thought that was very well played. And I, I'm, you know, I was wondering where they were going with that when it started, particularly when she was like talking with the other mm -hmm. boys around the, the pond and she was kind of showing them up that she knew better than they did about, you know, just l general right. life experience. And I'm like, where are they going with this? And yeah. it played out really hot well. Hot pie is a, is a hot mess, and that's all you need to know about hot pie. <laughs> <laughs> again, the, the, the scene plays out really well. It's one that I could watch over and over again just because the way it hits on all notes and the, it's timed perfectly, and there's kind of a rhythm to it. It's just, it's just a beautiful thing. All right, I have lots of questions for you coming up because the next set of scenes is really around this guy, and I wish I could remember his name, but this guy has basically been at Rob's side a lot during everything that has played out. We know Theon that he's kind Greyjoy. of a, okay. We know that he's a scoundrel, right? Like we know that we shouldn't really trust him. My my daughter's asked, why is Theon such a whore? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so we've seen that. I think that's one of the penises that we've seen, isn't it? Maybe. Uh, I'm, I, I didn't know I was in charge of, of penis count. <laughs> in, in all fairness, it's probably not your job to be cataloging penises. But w what I would say is that, you know, 
this guy is someone who kind of like shows up all over the place. And in the last episode, we had this discussion between Rob and Catalan. his mother yep. where she's like, you shouldn't trust him. You shouldn't trust them. This is dangerous. And he's like, yeah, but we need ships. The only way that we can beat the Lannisters is if we have ships. And specifically, she says, don't trust him for the reason that he is a Greyjoy. Not not based on his own merit, but based on his family, on his on his heritage. And well, that may not be unfounded. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so then he goes off, and he's uh, he's on he's in a ship, and he's basically taking advantage of the captain's daughter, and shows his true character by saying, "No, you're just a, basically just a whore, and I'm not taking you off the ship with me." Um, and then catches a ride to the Iron Islands. And this lady's willing to give him a, a, a ride up to the castle, and he immediately begins hitting on her aggressively. <laughs> and then he, he gets he gets up there, talks, talks to his father. His father asks him if he paid, you know, the trinkets he's wearing, the fancy clothes, stuff like that. Did he pay the iron price or the gold price? And he says the gold price because the iron price is winning it in battle, and he did not. So his father makes fun of him for that, and when when he chal- when uh, Theon challenges his father and says, "Well, who else are you going to have to lead uh, the Greyjoys into battle?" The door opens, and the girl that he was hitting on walks in, and come to find out that's his sister that he was feeling up and feeling down on the way. Yeah, how creepy is that? It's it's a beautiful moment, and it's one of those times when you're just like, man, this he deserves that so much. <laughs> Well, it's totally fitting for his character too, right? So, like, I don't feel bad for him at all. But at the same time, like, his father is clearly a creep too. Mm. And where his father is challenging his masculinity because he's wearing these clothes that are obviously of stature, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Like, he's he's earned his way into this stature that he has. And when he's asked, did he pay gold or iron, which I thought, you know, I don't understand the significance of this. I'm new to this story. I don't know what that necessarily means, but clearly paying gold was the wrong answer. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and Theon goes there with this, this letter from Rob saying, you know, let us use your ships and we will back your claim to your own kingdom and, you know, such and such and blah, blah. And Theon's father just throws it into the fire and, it, it he pretends to what's going on later, and I I forget what the line was that he said, but he I forgot that he he revealed his plans that early in the story. But over the next couple episodes, you, you'll see because you haven't you haven't uh, haven't gone that far in the story, but you'll see that it's he already has plans. Theon's father already has plans for what to do with the whole situation, and it's not what anybody's expecting. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised by that. So I, what what I find funny about that is as he's discarding that document, I'm reminded of the scene where Circe is in the council and reviewing the document from Stannis, where they're basically 
like staking their claim mm-hmm. and she tears up the document and Tyrion in another one of his wonderful lines says something along the lines of oh I see you're particularly good at tearing up these documents yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was right after she she really she says the line uh well there's another king what is that four or five now and she starts tearing <laughs> the paper and it's just like this, these little battles between Cersei and, and Tyrion are going to continue, and it's a beautiful thing. I'm so glad it takes place. It is. It's wonderful. I absolutely love it. Yeah. All right. So speaking of Stannis, so Stannis's folks are basically courting a pirate now? What the hell is that about? I was confused. Stannis needs ships. He, he right. needs ships. So... Uh, there's one way to get ships and that's either, well, there's a couple ways to steal it or promise something out of it, you know, and through the onion night, good old, uh, uh, man, Davos. There we go, man. Why? I don't know why I can't remember Davos's name, but through Davos, uh, Salador San is a smuggler, a pirate. Davos used to be a smuggler. You I mean, you'll, you'll learn more about that story as we go along. But these two are old time friends, and Davos says, "Well, we can promise you, you know, gold and this and that." And <laughs> Salador San says, "I don't want that. I just want the queen. <laughs> he just wants to take the queen." <laughs> and he's so confident because Stannis is like, "Well, I'm not going to let you rape the queen." And he says, "Oh, it won't be rape. <laughs> like, I'm just going to fuck yeah. her. I'm not going to rape her. I'm just going to fuck her." <laughs> But anyway, they make and I mean, they, I, I in, in all seriousness, it, with all the shit that is going down in our society today, that is not something to joke about. But the way that they tell that is is intriguing, right? Yeah. Like here's this pirate who thinks that he has such charisma that no, no, this is not going to be a problem. You're not promising t- her to me in a way that I'm going to abuse her. I'm just going to have my way with her and she'll enjoy it. Yeah, it's it, that that's just how deeply he believes his own his own stature. <laughs> As he calls it. Yeah. <laughs> so that gets Stannis the ships, uh, I believe it's 30 ships. Um uh, which gives him the opportunity to attack King's Landing. And that's going to set up much bigger things in, in this season. All right, before we end this conversation, there's another scene that I love with Cersei and I think Tyrion, where Tyrion confronts Cersei about the killing of the bastards, Mm -hmm. where it's really the moment that she realizes that Joffrey had ordered that. Right, right. Uh, and that was, yeah. And, and this is where he jokes about her relationship with Jamie as well. It's, there's a lot of little jabs going on in this one scene. Oh yeah. And, uh, I think they both at that time realized just where Joffrey sits in his power in his belief in, in his power. And I think that that's something that in her heart of hearts she knows, but she's trying to do right by him, right? She's trying to, again, as Tyrion says, she loves her children. right? So she's trying to do right by her son and guarantee him his position 
whether it is rightly deserved or not, but recognizes in multiple occasions in these two episodes that he is not equipped to sit on that throne. Yeah, and and my question to you is, how long do you think it's going to be before she stands up to him and tries to remove him from the throne? Well, I don't necessarily know the answer to that, but I know that he doesn't survive too much longer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And this is one of those times where at, when, the, when the show was airing originally, a lot of people had a lot of angst and hatred towards Jack Gleason, who plays, uh, who, who plays the king, to the point where he was getting, you know, for, from some of the scenes that go on here shortly, he was getting death threats by mail and, and things like that, you know. Um, right. Let's, let's be clear about this, right? The actor yes. who portrays this character portrays Joffrey, yeah. was getting death threats from people who watch the show. Yeah. I mean, that is how seriously people take this shit. Well, that, and that's also how ser- how well he plays this character. He does an amazing job at portraying Joffrey. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, he really sinks into the role, and it, it, he owns it. His facial expressions own it. The way that he holds himself, and being a young actor, it's it's really a, a high mark of of how he plays this character so well. Um, that we the, the people would actually hate the actor as much as they hate the character. It's funny. I agree with that entirely, and yet I would say for the first half of the episodes that I saw him in, I thought, oh, my God, what a terrible actor. He's so stilted. <laughs> no, actually, that's by design. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that, that's all character. That's all character. Um, yeah. All right. Did we miss anything in these two episodes? I other, think we other than got Jenny? through most of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd really be curious to hear what Jenny has to say because she's been really quiet while yeah. we've been talking about this. Jenny, do you have any inputs? Yeah, this is just not working tonight. Yeah. I don't know. We'll have to follow up with her. <laughs> all right, Richard, uh, where can people find you? All right. I host a number of podcasts, but the best way to see what I'm thinking is to follow me on Twitter at Richard Gunther. And I have a number of voices in my head that share their opinions there. Wow. And for Ginny, she talks about a lot of things like Star Wars. She does. I think that's what she's signing to me right now. Yeah, she talks about um, also Cheers. Yeah, I yep. think. And and uh, she has a little saying that you know when you have a story that needs to be told but you don't want to tell it, eh, tell it anyway. And uh, that's a that's oh, a show. that's a great saying. That's a show that, I love that. that she does love with her, with her husband, and they get all the best stories ever on that podcast. So go on by. They actually totally do. And look at that. And she's at Jenny J twenty three. Yeah, you should totally follow her. She's she in addition to her own thoughts, she has some of the most connected and insightful retweets. Oh yes. Oh yes. Um and then if you want to go the opposite direction from that and have no insight and very little thought behind the <laughs> tweets, you can cruise on over to Ethan Kane at Ethan Kane, E T H A N C A I N E, and I will fill your your Twitter eyeballs with the vast nothingness that I share all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, I'll tell and you. And if you'd like to, if you'd like to give some feedback to the show, 
let's talk about thrones at gmail.com. Awesome. Anthony, Jenny, as always, this has been delightful. Yes, and we'll see you next time we talk about thrones. have to edit this because I totally fumbled that. I answered my own question. So 52 something.